0: for you to feel like you belong even if you never believe and so thank you again for listening and i hope today's message encourages you and helps you all right you guys ready to roll with part two of what would jesus undo uh so here's what we're talking about the title kind of says it all and that is if jesus were to show up like what would he look at and just go you need to stop that like, you need, to, you need to just knock that off. You need to change that. In fact, really what we're looking at is not what, what would Jesus do if he showed up in terms of undoing stuff. It's really what would Jesus show up to go, I already undid this, and you started doing it again. And, like, you, 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 need, you just need to knock it off. Like, you just need to stop. You need to let go of it. And particularly, here's the whole underlying theme of this entire series. It comes down to this statement right here. The arrival of Jesus on planet Earth signaled the undoing of what we're calling the temple model and temple model thinking and the arrival of something that was completely and entirely new. Like Jesus showed up to go, listen, this is not like Judaism 201. It's not ancient religion 201. This isn't like a knockoff or we're going to tweak some stuff, make it a little bit better. I'm actually inviting you into something that you've never seen before You've never experienced it in ancient religion. You didn't grow up with this in the temple. I'm inviting you into something that is absolutely and completely brand new. Now, here's what we said last week. If you're just joining us somewhere, unfiltered radio, podcasting, watching, you're in the house, is basically every ancient religion consists of kind of four pillars. And this is persia this is greece this is the romans this is the jewish religion in the first century and surprisingly this kind of thinking continues to follow us all the way to today in fact every major religion is made up of basically these four components they all have sacred places they all have sacred texts they all have sacred men it's always men and they always have sincere followers and i said this last week and i'm not trying to but religion gets really weird so you could insert superstitious followers because a lot of the stuff that's done in the name of religion or God is just off the rails. But every religion kind of consists of those things. So there's a sacred place, meaning this is where you go to meet with God. This is the presence of God. This is where you like find out if you're good with God. Every religion has a sacred place. Every religion has a sacred text or sacred oracles or sacred inscriptions. Every religion of the world. And Again, they always have sacred men. And sacred men are the go-between between God and the people. So basically, they interpret what the sacred text says. They tell you what to do. They tell you how you should live your life. They basically have all of the power of inclusion, exclusion, and literally in terms of how people view it, heaven and hell. So they have all of the power standing between the people and between God, but there's always sacred men and, again, always sincere followers. And then Jesus shows up. And Jesus is like, I've come to undo all of that and introduce something that, again, is not a 2.0 version. It is something that is entirely new. And Jesus shows up on the scene to go, I'm going to introduce an entirely new command I'm going to introduce an entirely new covenant. I'm going to replace the old arrangement or the old covenant with the nation of Israel and God, and I'm going to introduce a new covenant. I'm going to introduce an entirely new ethic, and this new ethic is going to replace and inform everything else, and I'm going to introduce a brand new and an entirely new movement. In fact, we looked at last week that Jesus on a hillside said, listen, I'm going to build my Greek word ekklesia, and ekklesia literally meant a gathering of people or an assembly or a movement, but the problem is that ticked off all of the sacred men of the religious system, and so later on, after William Tyndale, who translated the Bible into English, was burned at the stake, the sacred men came along to go, no, 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 ekklesia is way too threatening to the religious system, because if we don't have sacred men who interpret the text before God before the people and if we don't have sacred places we lose all our power and so they took a German word, Kirch, and they translated it into English, and literally that German word meant a sacred place, and it's where we get our English word, church. And the problem with that is many of you, when you hear the word church, you think sacred place, you don't think a people, but Jesus could not have been more clear. I didn't come to introduce a new sacred person. I didn't come to introduce a new sacred place. I came to introduce an entirely new movement that's all about sacred people that have been called out to the world, and it is multiple multicultural, multi-ethnic. It is socioeconomically diverse. It's for all generations in all places. New command, new ethic, completely new covenant, brand new movement. And this is unlike you have ever seen in ancient religion. And I'm telling you, it's for all people in all the world. Thanks for that. (laughs) I'm glad you're fired up about it. But that's what Jesus came to introduce, like, here, here's the thing, like, to better describe this, and then we're going to really dig down deep. I've just been setting you up the first two weeks, because if I rolled into what I'm going to talk about at week three, you'll just be like, I'm out. You have, you've gone off the rails. So you just need to know I'm setting you up. You need to be here next week and in part four. But here's the thing about the temple model. The temple model was always built around a standard where only the elite could meet it. So basically, the temple model thinking is, hey, listen, like, here's the standard, you've got to meet it, but nobody is able to meet it except for the elite because they kind of make up the standard. And then Jesus shows up and goes, no, 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 more of that kind of thinking. I'm going to, in fact, jack the standard up, Matthew five forty eight: be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect, the verse is not meant to go, you need to be perfect. The, the verse was meant to punctuate the point for you that you can't be perfect. Jesus was perfect for you. He was the final sacrifice for sin. So no longer is it a sacred elite person who judges everybody else. Now there is an equal plane. There is no sacred person. There is just you and Jesus and everybody is on equal ground at the foot of the cross underneath Jesus. The other thing about the temple model thinking is it required followers to come make peace with God. So you constantly had to go to a sacred place and make peace with God, and then Jesus shows up to go, nope, done with that. Now, if you want to make peace with God, you go make peace with your neighbor. If you want to be good with God, it's not about this any longer. I want you to look to your left, right? I want you to look to your left, and I want you to find out how you're doing with your neighbors who are around you. And, yes, I know I started to say that. That was my left. Like, just (laughs) knock it off. And then the third thing is this. (laughs) It was nation-specific. Like The temple model thinking was always nation specific. It was always about a sacred place that you went to to worship God. It was always about a specific people. And again, Jesus shows shows up to go, no, no, all of that's going to change. It's going to be for all people. This is not about a nation. This is not about a sacred place. This isn't about a specific person or people group. This is for all people in all places, All around the world in every generation, and maybe you know this, the first century church, they embraced this idea that what Jesus was introducing was entirely new, and the church exploded. And Jews and Gentiles flocked to this movement, and they began to embrace this absolutely different way. And I said this last week, just to give you an idea, this was so utterly different that the Romans would look at the Jewish Christians in the first century, and they would literally call them atheists. Because they would ask them questions like, hey, guys, what's your sacrifice? Like, we don't really have sacrifices like because Jesus was the final sacrifice for sin. It's like, well, where's your temple? Uh, We don't really have a temple. Like, we are a temple now. Wherever we go, God's with us. And Okay, but what what about your priest? Where are your priests? Like, we don't don't really have priests. I know it's hard to describe because Jesus was the great high priest, and now he has abolished and removed all the walls, and we can have direct access to God. And the Romans would look at them and go, that's not a religion. And like, I know it's not, but it's the way of Jesus. And they're like, you guys are atheists. Like, not really because we believe Jesus is God. And it was so confusing because what Jesus introduced was so utterly different. So, you can understand the first century why Jewish Christians had so much trouble letting go of their previous system. Like, it felt wrong. It felt like it just it wasn't right. It kind of felt sacrilegious. It was letting go of those old traditions. It just didn't feel like they should do that. And so what they began to do is try to blend some of the old way of thinking and temple model thinking with the new way of Jesus because it's just so hard to let go of that stuff. And in fact, this is what I'm gonna talk about for the next couple of weeks. So if I, I'm gonna say this five more times. Don't miss next week. But we're gonna talk about this dynamic right here and it's just this. Our consciences are hard, hardwired to determine religious realities whether they actually reflect reality or not like for all of us depending on your background where you grew up with what you've been influenced by your conscience determines religious realities whether they reflect reality or not you know what I'm talking about like if you ever talk with somebody like well you don't need to feel that way which is insensitive and never a good thing to say but you don't need to feel that way like well I do feel that way well you don't need to feel guilty about that well, that didn't change anything because I do feel guilty about it. Like, there's something about my conscience that says this is wrong. But the reality is our consciences, depending on our backgrounds, are hardwired to determine religious realities, whether they are reality or not. Literally, they inform what we think about religion and about the church. I'll give you, like, some kind of crazy examples, but, like, when I was growing up, I had Catholic friends, and, and I grew up, like, very Baptist, and so I would, like, have conversations with them, and they're talking about going to confession. I'm like, oh, you don't need to do that anymore, which is, if you're Catholic, don't leave. I'm not done, but you're like, I, you don't need to do that anymore. Like, we, I, why do you go to confession? Like, you can just pray to God and whatever, and then they would ask me questions about, like, hey, why don't, why doesn't anybody drink alcohol? And we're like, well, we can't. And they're like, why? Because we can't, and there's, <laughs> what about Jesus turning water into wine? Like, I, yeah, I know, but, I think it was diluted wine or something like it was, (laughs) it was box wine only worse. Like I don't, we we just can't. All right, there there's a verse, and they're well, we drink wine in church. I'm like, what? You drink wine? It's like this whole thing. You know what I'm talking about? And so like these just these ideas of like that just doesn't feel right. Or if you've ever been around a friend where they kind of they love and follow Jesus to put it in our context, but they kind of do some things or like behaviors like I just I'm like uncomfortable with that, and yet they're fine with it. Like they're they're totally good because this is just a reality. And I'm going to talk about it more next week. Don't miss next week. That our consciences determine religious realities, whether they're actually reality or not. And so the Jewish people tried to assimilate this temple thinking that, again, has permeated all religious systems and still follows us today. They tried to mix some of this with the new Jesus movement because it is so hard to let go of that kind of thinking. And then Paul steps in. Paul, who wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament, and literally, no hyperbole, I think he saved the church. Like, Paul's the guy who shows up, his background was he was actually one of the best religious Pharisees in first century culture. He was more educated than most people, so the dude had authority over what religious systems looked like. He knew more than everybody. He actually helped lead those systems, and he tried to stomp out the Jesus movement, because he thought what everybody else did, it's a cult. And then Paul all of a sudden moved from trying to stomp out and kill Christians and stop the movement to becoming a Christian. Which if you are a skeptic, nobody argues that Paul was a real man in history. You should just go study that conversion and ask yourself the question, how does that happen? Because that's crazy to move from I want to kill you to I'm going to become one of you. And so Paul does. He has this dramatic conversion experience. and, And more than anybody, he recognizes the old temple system that all religion represents, but he also, maybe better than anybody, understands the new way that Jesus is introducing. And so he begins to go into synagogues and just teach people and go, hey, listen, a new day is here. Jesus has brought something entirely new to planet earth. Jesus is ushering in a new system, and arrangement with God, and he's going to undo everything that you previously knew. So Paul would go around these synagogues and do this, and then other Jews would come behind him after he would leave and be like, hey, hey. Paul left some stuff out like we love him but Paul like it's part of his message is incomplete so like you can't let go of all of that stuff that is meaningful it's tradition it's part of the way that we connect with God like you can't just go that's done with and just embrace this totally new thing so you just need to know Paul left some stuff out you need to continue to do this and they go behind Paul and then Paul gets to the place where he is angry Like, so unbelievably angry. He writes this letter to Gentile Christians in the first century in what is um, a Roman province that's now modern day Turkey. And he writes this letter, I'm telling you, in this letter, you'll see in a second, Paul's angry. Like, he comes along to go, listen, you guys don't understand. I came out of this old system, and I recognize what Jesus has introduced to planet Earth. You cannot mix these two things. I didn't leave anything out. I know it's crazy because it is not religion, but it is the way of Jesus, and you guys have got to knock it off because if you continue to try to infuse these two things, the whole movement of Jesus will go off the rails. And Paul goes around and he he begins to teach and talk about these Judaizers, which are basically just Jewish Christians who thought that to become a Christian, you had to embrace the Jewish customs, which meant you had to have a little surgery. So, like, the new members class for Judaizers, 100% women. There was never men in that class ever. But that, that's what they thought, like, you, you got to become Jewish, you got to, 630 laws, or some other ceremonial cleansing, you got to go to the temple, and got to have, you know, Jesus died for you, you got to have a little surgery for him, so you have to do all of this if you want to be a part of this new movement. And so Paul comes along and he finds out, and I'm just not overstating this, dude went ballistic. Like, you cannot add back in what Jesus already undid, or you will jack up the whole thing, welcome to 2020. in many of our churches, and not to be overly critical, but in our kind of religious organizations and environments and gatherings. I'm telling you, what Jesus introduced was so radical because I'll get to the end of this and some of you will go, that's kind of extreme, but I'm just gonna read you Paul's words. But 2,000 years later, I'm not overstating this, we're still trying to catch up with it. And so Paul writes this in Galatians chapter five, verse one and If you're watching online, you can get the app right now. This is all in there, Centerpoint Church, Florida. Galatians 5.1, here's what Paul writes. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. If your version of Christianity doesn't make you feel free, you're doing it wrong. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And then Paul says this to all of these Jewish Christians in the first century, stand firm then, and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Like, I came to set you free, Jesus would say, and now you're imprisoning yourself all over again. Don't allow yourselves to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In verse 2, I mean, Paul's fired up, mark my words, exclamation point. I tell you, Paul, that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be, this is a huge couple words, Christ will be of no value to you. No value. Now, Paul's not against circumcision, which was part of their religious practice, which I know is really uncomfortable for me to talk about, but like it was a big part of the covenant that signified the Jewish people with God and God's arrangement in the Old Testament. But he wasn't against it. I mean, Jesus was circumcised. Jesus' initial followers were circumcised. Any of you have been circumcised? In fact, you just, I'm just kidding. Um... (laughs) Just trying to break the tension. You do not want to be like in the second row at that point. You're like, I don't know. It wasn't a real question. But here's why it was. This is why it was a big deal. Circumcision represented the old covenant, and Paul's going. Listen, this is a new covenant that Jesus introduced. This is a new movement. You can leave all of that behind because Jesus undid all of it. And then he says this, verse 3, and again, I declare to every man, every woman who lets, well, not every woman, who lets himself be circumcised. (laughs) In this particular case, he's speaking particularly to men in verse (laughs) 3. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated, this is so huge, to obey. What's the next word? Obligated to obey the whole thing. Paul's like, listen, you can't merge the two. Like, there is a demarcation point, and they cannot come together. You can't have a little bit of this and a little bit of this and just kind of combine them, which in many cases is exactly what we do. Paul's like, no, no, if you are, if you're going to go with the old temple system, if you're going to combine some of those religious practices into the deal, you got to do all of them. You got to do either all of it or you can't do any of it because, come on, it begins to mess everything up. It begins, Paul would say, to become really complicated for the Gentile people because they're sitting asking the question, okay, so what do I have to change? Yeah. What do I have to do? And am I clear on all the rules? Because I didn't grow up as a Jewish boy or girl. And, and do I have to begin to act like, to be like like, what does it look like for me? And come on. I know you're uncomfortable. I'm talking about circumcision, but come on. You have your own version of that story, don't you? Yeah. We have our own version of that story, or at least we know somebody. And Paul's like, listen, it's, it's either all or nothing. And then verse 4, he says this, you who are trying to be justified, or literally, you're trying to make sure you're good with God. You're trying to make sure that, God, are we good? God, are you pleased? God, have I done enough? Like that whole thing of you trying to be justified or make sure you're good with God, in that moment when you try to do that by the law, you have been such a strong word. You have been, what's the word? Online. What's the word? You have been alienated from Christ. Like, Paul, that's harsh. No, no, it's not. See, here's the thing. There's two ways to rebel against God. To quote Tim Keller, you can either break the law and just go, I'm going to do whatever I want with my life, or you can keep the law. But if your means for being okay with God is keeping the law, it is on par with breaking the law because both of those things scream, I don't need Jesus. And Paul's like, this is a big deal. This is a huge deal because the moment you try to place, am I good with God, under some kind of religious system that says if I do this or I practice this, God's good with me. No, no, here's the end result of this you have fallen away from grace. Not God doesn't love you because this is the whole deal about grace. Grace is part of a one-sided new covenant. The new covenant was based 100% on what Jesus would do, not anything based on what you would do. And so grace is grace in that the moment you trust Jesus and the fact that he died for your sin, past, present, and future, and he walked out of a grave alive and go, I'm trusting you with my future, my sin. I'm asking you for forgiveness. I'm asking you to be my savior. At that moment, it is a one-sided transaction that can never be undone. That is the new covenant. And no matter what you do with the rest of your life, that's grace. It's undeserved. It's unearned. You will stand Perfect in the eyes of God, on the other side of this life, because it's on the basis of what God has done for you. But in this moment, Paul, Paul's going the experience of grace and the freedom that comes with that. the moment you try to mix these two things, you will fall away from that grace. And come on, so let me just give you the, like the dumbest example I can think of, but I think it makes the point. So if you you come after, I'm going to name places though I'm so tempted, but if you came up with, like, a $100 gift card, and you're like, hey, I got you this $100 gift card or whatever, whatever, and, you know, um, thank you, and you give me the gift card, and I'm like, well, can I just give you something for this? You're like, no, no, it's a gift card. Like, it's take it, take your wife out, whatever, leave your kids behind, go, you know, go out. And I'm like, no, no, can I just give you, like, Get, let me give you 50 bucks for it. Like, we'll just, no, you can't give me 50 bucks. And then I keep arguing with you because I'm too prideful. And you're like, hey, I'm like, just let me give you 25 bucks for it. Okay, you can give me 25 bucks for the, for the card. See, at that moment, it is not a gift card any longer. It's a discount card. Like, I got a discount for a date night, which I would take, but it's, it, let's just be clear. It is a discount card, it is not a gift card any longer. And Paul's whole point is this grace is God knew all of you, and he loved you anyway. That God knew, and this is what his grace states, God knew every single one of your secrets. Let me just tell you what I know about a bunch of people who are listening via radio, watching, podcasting, in the house, because these are the stories every week. You have come in here with some kind of secrets that you think keeps you at a place where you could never have a relationship with God because you don't understand the radical nature of his grace. He knew all of your secrets when he went to the cross, and he died for you anyway, and he's removed every barrier, and all you have to do is say yes to him. And grace says, I knew all of your secrets, and I call you a son, and I call you a daughter anyway. Grace says, my love, my grace is unending, and it never runs out. And the moment you try to deserve that, the moment you try to earn that, the moment you try to create anything that goes, God, are we good? God, are we good? Is the moment that you begin to fall away from my grace. For in Christ Jesus... Verse 6, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Let's just, because you're uncomfortable with that, just add your own thing. Whatever you're piling up, and we all have them. <laughs> we all have them. Whatever you're piling up, like when you do it, you're like, I feel pretty good about me and God. Whatever that is, if you are banking on that to feel like you are good with God, I'm telling you, you're getting no points with God. It's of no value. And then it's like Paul stops and pauses in the the middle of verse 6, and I'm telling you, what he says next, I can't overstate this, what he says next is so extreme, if I went up here and just said it, and it was one of my points, and Paul didn't say it, you'd be like, you are off the rails, it's what I knew about you, you're way too sided with grace, you're way too one-sided, you're way too extreme, you're way too just throw the rules out. Like, I knew that about you. Anybody that wears Jordans to preach, like, you know they're not serious about sin. Like, I knew that about you. Like, if, if I just came up and did, I'm telling you, what Paul says, it's, it's crazy. And, and next week, it's going to get crazier. It's so where I'm setting you up. And I'm, I'm telling you, I didn't write this. When I'm about to say, Paul said this, but here's what I would tell you, what Paul says next. The absence of this is why so many of you have walked away from the church. The absence of what Paul says next is why so many of you have walked away from the Jesus thing. This is what Paul says. The only thing that counts Okay, yeah, but Paul there's like a lot of things. It's probably this is probably a top ten thing, I would totally agree with that. But like you, you know how many things that there are that matter that are big deal that are big deal that got. No, 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 shh. The only thing that counts is your faith expressing itself through love. Whoa, Paul. Okay, number one, it says in the Bible, Paul's like, shh, shut up. I'm writing the Bible right now. The only <laughs> Thing that counts I know you're so tied up in the old system You're so tied up in temple thinking You're so tied up in 630 laws And bringing your sacrifice And coming to the temple And talking to the priest And and making sure you got all these things right And ceremonial washing And make sure you whatever, whatever But I'm just telling you There was an expiration date on all of that It was good for a season But Jesus promised Hey this temple I'm going to tear it down in three days And that was figurative and literal Because in 70 AD The temple would come crumbling to the ground which was a signifier that ancient Judaism was dead exactly as Jesus had predicted because a new day had dawned and Jesus was ushering something brand new into the world. And literally the Greek means working it out, working it out. The only thing that counts for you is how your faith expresses itself in love, period. And they're like, that's just extreme. And Paul's like, I I know it's extreme. And here's the thing, like Paul's, and the the people are sitting there grappling with this and they're like, okay, circumcision, all that it represents, like the temple model thinking, like it it all comes down to, to this question. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna be a little bit longer. And I'm just telling you, you'll be up here for a while. So you good? You good with that? Okay, all right. That's good. That's fine. Because immediately when he starts, it's like there's another drive. Like, boom, you feel so much more spiritual in that moment. So I'm fine with it. So um, Paul's sitting there going, okay, uh, like uh, the whole question up into this point is, God, how am I doing? 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 And and at this point, Paul in his writing is going, listen, if you are a Christian, that day is over. Again, not, not because sin's not a big deal. It's because God answered the question of how you were doing at the cross, And the moment that he died and took on his body all of your sin and then walked out of the grave alive, that settles it. We said it last week. Anybody who dies for you is for you. And so no longer is the God. Are we good? God, are we okay? God, are you pleased? God, am I doing okay? Paul's like, that day is over. You are good with God. And the only thing of value to God is not how you treat God. It's how you treat other people. God is fine. And then he says, verse 7, you were running a good race. Like, you guys embraced this early on. And then, and I love his wordplay, I won't get graphic, but who cut in? <laughs> I love Paul's writing. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Like, what kept, you, what, what kept you from embracing this new movement and message that Jesus introduced? And then skip down to verse 9. He says this, a little yeast. Like, you're a homeschool person, you, you know about this. A little yeast. I'm joking. I love Homeschoolers. And there's a lot of homeschoolers now, so it's, it's amazing. So, um, and, and we were, listen, I just feel like I have to backtrack now. Like, we tried to homeschool for a year, and then we were like, nah, you got to leave. Um, we, no. A little yeast, which is a single-cell fungi, right? Just a little bit of it changes everything. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And Paul's just making the point, listen, I, I know. I get where you're coming from, but listen. A little bit of legalism a little bit of gracelessness as small as it seems to you it'll jack up the whole thing it'll pervert the whole thing it'll dilute the entire thing because it only takes a small thing of the wrong thing to corrupt the whole thing and it's why Paul is so out of his mind to go listen you can't do this You can't be mixing and matching these things. Like, it's not okay. It it is a big deal. And come on, one of the things that we want to constantly do because we're so afraid because this message is so extreme is the moment somebody goes off the rails, we want to, like, rein it in. Like, we need to put a governor on grace, man, because they need a little bit more law to know you can't go off the rails, you can't do that, you can't live like that. And the opposite is true. It's a false dichotomy. When somebody is at a place Where they are moving in a direction that's opposite than what Jesus wants. The answer is not less grace, they actually need more grace. The answer is they never understood grace, because when you understand grace, it will lead you to a place where you're not just modifying your behavior, you're changing your heart, and everything about your life is not, I'm doing this because of the law, I'm doing this because I've been captivated by the love and grace of Jesus that says, I don't want to live my life this way any longer. Our method as a church is if you get stuck in sin, you need more gospel, you need more good news, you need more grace, because it is the only thing that can transform the human heart. And Paul knew where this would lead, and so this is how extreme he was about this. What I'm going to say next is going to be a little awkward with the piano in the background, but it's probably good. Verse 12, as for those agitators, I I love this, and Paul's like, if I wouldn't write it the church, I'd probably use a different word. But those agitators, those people that keep trying to mix and match this and grab a hold of the old and, and mix it into the new Jesus movement, I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Greek word, apocopto. I I just wish they'd cut it off. I wish that they would just cut off their junk. If they are going, and I don't know how to say it. This is Paul. You should read the Bible. In the New Testament, he's like, listen, this is why this is such a big deal to me. You cannot have a little bit of this and a little bit of this. If you are going to operate under this system, you need to go all the way. There is no in between. There is no mixing and mashing. And Paul's like, I don't know how else I could say this. I don't think I could get any more graphic, but you just need to go all the way and do this because Paul knew where it would lead. And I'll just tell you straight up, (laughs) because I know our audience, I I know that a lot of you, you maybe can't put words around it, but you know where it'll lead. Some of you, it's why you're here, it's why you're watching, it's why you're listening. Paul knew that that under this system, this temple model thinking, if you didn't let go of it entirely, eventually leaders would become self-righteous. Because the sacred men... (laughs) <laughs> always men would interpret the rules and this is what it says and this is what the text says and this is what God says and it's funny that the rules always align up with what it's easy, what's easy for them to actually live out and accomplish and then they'll judge everybody else according to those rules and Paul knew leaders eventually become self-righteous followers eventually under this kind of system would become hypocrites Because you just dumbed down the standard, dumbed down the standard, dumbed down the standard, and yet Jesus showed up to go, no, I'm actually raising the standard. Look at a woman with lust, same as adultery. Like, you, you, you know, you, you lie about somebody. I mean, like, all of these things, like, it's not that the standard has dumbed down. The standard has actually gotten higher to let you know that you cannot accomplish any of this. And again, you need a savior. And so this is not dumbing down the rules so that you can have proper behavioral modification that goes, am I good? Am I accepted? Am I all right? You guys like me? God, am I good? Do you like me? But there is never any heart change because in temple model thinking, you always prioritize behavioral modification over the heart. Yeah. And so as long as you look right... It doesn't matter what's happening on the inside of you. And eventually, you have to just fake it. And followers always become self-righteous. And then the third outflow, and Paul knew this, people would be mistreated. You ever been mistreated by a church? You ever had somebody prioritize rules over love? Verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, you we're called to be free. And Paul circles back around. In case you didn't get the memo the first time when I started this section, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. The message of Jesus is life and it is freedom. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another in love. And Paul's saying exactly what I just said. Listen. The, the anecdote to when you're tempted to just go off the rails is you need to understand grace in a deeper way. Because when you really understand grace, grace always expresses itself in love. Yeah. It never hurts you because you're somebody made in the image of God. And it never hurts somebody else because they're a son and daughter of God. And so he says, don't indulge the flesh, rather serve one another in love. Because that's where grace always leads when you understand it. And then verse 14, the entire law. Don't miss next week. Come on, I'll tell you how crazy this is, and how radical this is. And I didn't make it up, it's in the Bible. The entire law, 630 some, and then a bunch of others, is summed up, is fulfilled in Jesus in a single command Love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Paul's like, the one thing, this one thing, it's going to inform. And it's going to replace everything. And in this moment, it's as if Paul's going, listen, I know Jewish Christians, first century, I know you don't know this, but you have the secret to this the whole time. (laughs) Because this is actually, I'm quoting Leviticus. Jesus was setting the stage that eventually, this is what was coming to the world. Eventually, this is what would be promised and lived out through what the prophets had told about the Messiah who would be Jesus. And Jesus would touch down on planet earth and he would say this, love God, love people, everything else is detail. Love God, love people, and everything else is detail because the measure of how you're doing is no longer going to be the vertical. It's going to be the horizontal. No longer is do I have to go to a sacred place and I have to operate through a sacred person. No, now it's I have direct access to the God of the universe. And I know at any moment where I'm at with God. It doesn't mean that God approves of my behavior. All of us have the ability and the freedom to go off the rails and do whatever we want. But once we become a son and daughter of God, we are sons and we are daughters of God. And when he sees you, your heavenly father sees the perfection of Jesus. That is the good news. So no longer is God, are we good? God, have I done enough? God, am I okay? Did I sing enough? Did I give enough? Did I read enough? Enough quiet times? That day is over. If you want to know where you're at with me, look to your right, look to your left, talk to the guy behind you talk to the woman in front of you how are they in relationship with you because how they are in relationship with you is how you are in relationship with me because now the vertical has been replaced by the horizontal the only thing that counts is your faith expressing itself through love so if you want to know jesus follower where you're at it has everything to do with where you're at with your neighbor your christian neighbor your transgender neighbor, your Democratic neighbor, your Republican neighbor, your pot smoking neighbor, your I don't understand them neighbor, your angry neighbor, your, they got a personality disorder and they're weird neighbor, where you're at with your neighbor. And it's why Paul could say, the only thing that counts is your faith expressing itself through love. When you get that, you will pray differently. When we get that, we we will see sin in a completely different way. Don't miss next week. When you get that, your experience with Jesus will be characterized by freedom more than it's characterized by anything else. Yeah. And you one of the things that keeps me up in the morning and drives me and continues to produce so much angst for me, it's why I will give my life to this, is because there have been people who are, have been around the church their entire life, they have been around Jesus' followers for their entire life, they have never experienced anything remotely close to what could be characterized as freedom. Yeah. And when we get this right, we will treat people better. Yeah. And if all they're like, "Well, that's too extreme, man. Like that's, you haven't seen nothing yet. That's too extreme. Like it just feels like, it, it almost there's a part of this that feels wrong. It feels like you're, you're throwing out the standard. It feels unstructured. It feels what, just so you know, that's exactly how first century Jewish Christians felt. <laughs> and you're like, that's too extreme. Here's what I would tell you. You're just beginning to understand it. Yeah. It's extreme. but it is the way of Jesus. And so I just want to end with this. Can you imagine how different our neighborhoods would be? Can you imagine how different your home might be? Our city, can you imagine how different our nation might be? If we got to the place where the only thing that matters and it mattered more than anything else, it mattered more than being right, It mattered more than who we were voting for. It mattered more than whatever else that we stack up is important in our life, that the only thing that really mattered above everything else was my faith expressing itself in love for others. That's it. Where we recognize that how I treat people is what is most important to God. And come on. (laughs) Many of you that have walked away, and you left the church behind a long time oh, ago. Can I, can I just say this? Or really ask you this question? Your bad church experience wasn't because people believed in Jesus, was it? In fact, your bad church experience wasn't because of people's loyalty to Jesus. Your bad church experience and the reason that you walked away is because of how we treated you. And Paul says, This is why this is a big deal. And you cannot add to what Jesus already undid. And by the way, we'll look at this later. You do not have to be afraid of it because this message has the power to change the world and it can change you in a way that the law would never be able to change you. And Paul goes, it is a new day and you need to realize that the vertical, how am I doing with God? It's It's been replaced by the horizontal because the moment you start looking up and asking yourself incessantly, how does God view me? You take your eyes off of the people around you that are most important to your heavenly Father. And so what if just for this week, you just ask this one question. What does love demand of me? In every interaction, in every conversation, in every decision, what if I just ask this one question? What does love demand of me? And I'll just promise you something. I know it's uncomfortable right now. That will lead you into very uncomfortable conversations. That will lead you toward uncomfortable people. That will lead you into uncomfortable circumstances. And that is the way of Jesus. The only thing that counts is your faith expressing itself in love. As we close, I want to encourage you on one thing. Jesus talks about this all throughout the New Testament. To process to grow in this like you need community you need people and so right now if you are in the house if you're online i want to encourage you something today during the 11 o'clock we have our next steps which tells you about our church and how to take a next step in your faith journey how to get into a group and so you can text right now uh, cc next steps to ninety four thousand. or if you're ready right now to go i need to get in a group i need community i need other people our goal as a church is not for you to sit in a row or just watch online we have digital groups we have in-person groups but text right now cc group to ninety-four thousand. we want to help you take a next step and pray with me wherever you're at jesus i thank you for your grace i thank you for what you're doing in this moment i pray that you would help us to process this in a way that for some of us it may be uncomfortable in these next few weeks it may be paradigm shifting for us but god i pray that we'd come back to what i believe is so clear in the new testament And that we would allow you to root some things up and out and that you would shift maybe how we're seeing our relationship with you. That ultimately is defined by our relationship with other people. And I pray as a church, there's no more season where it is more important than this season. We would embrace this with everything that we've got. And that we would be what you have called us to be as the body of Christ. And so we are praying this and we're asking this in the incredible name of Jesus.